Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting Orban Foundation at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, resolution, and togetherness on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Please consider donating at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org forward slash donate. As a thank you, you'll receive a free copy of the book Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. Receive your free copy by donating at OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org forward slash donate. Welcome to part two. Thanks for coming back. To take care of the bad guy, to to rid the world of evil and, and, and be a man. And then when you're physically, when it's physically you put in that, in that situation, it, it's, it's a whole different ball game. It's like you said, it's not cowboys and Indians on TV anymore. This, right. this is real world. Right. And, and, and there's, you know, like, again, there's a lot of guilt that goes with that too. Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members make the transition from the military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including such things as nightmares, rage, and isolation. Veterans and family members in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Thank you for choosing to make this journey with us. Here is today's segment. When I finally got my hands on him and I'm touching him and he looked at them, looked in his eyes with like, holy crap, what is going on here? And of course, I was, I look back at my wife and I'm crying. And she goes, You see, he's okay. He's okay. Now, w- was your son in the military? No. No, he's not. No. <laughs> so there's not even, a, well, as you mentioned, a logical reason to think there would be something wrong with him. It was just that was your mindset. That was my mindset. That was, I just, I had to put my hands on him, I had to touch him and make sure he was okay. I can't explain it any better than that. I don't think you need to, Bill. Uh, I don't think you need to. I think that is a, a great uh, a great explanation. Let, let, let's just go back with just a little bit. To, so w- when this person is wanting to interview you, the thing that I remember from my own experience and that of other veterans I've spoken with, I wouldn't have known what to tell them in the first place. I, I mean, I didn't know how to explain this stuff. Uh, and and again, th- these are such intimate experiences we have at war. You have to know this person that you're going to share. It w- the same as with any other intimate experience in life. You're not just going to walk into the dentist office and talk. start talking to them about your personal life. These yeah. are and it takes an extraordinary person to gain that immediate trust that I would tell them to. And I, to tell you the truth, never met that person. So yeah. I, I think that's important information to share that you just weren't prepared to tell that information, to share that information, and, and you wanted to move on. Well, when we got back home that morning after leaving the, well, not before I t- spoke to this lady, the, when I finally got home, like five, six o'clock in the morning, and my wife, Janet, says, you know, they want you to go back and around nine o'clock and, and talk to this lady about 
you know, about the whole thing. And I grabbed her. I grabbed my wife. I said, I don't want to talk about it. And, you know, I didn't. I wasn't angry at my wife. I didn't hurt my wife. But I was angry at the fact I, you know, I don't want to talk to anybody about it. You know, I'm just trying to get my own brain together. I mean, you know, I mean, four months in, in four months time, we had over 2000 casualties. Wow. Do you, you think know? you even I, I'm just questioning. I hope this isn't a bad question. But in my experience, do you think you even knew how to talk about it? I mean, it, it, it for me, it was more I don't know if this would make sense to you. It was like the experiences of war, my mind was a computer that had shut down. It couldn't process any more information, nor could it share the information that it was there. So I had to just forget what was on my mind because I, I, I didn't have access to it. I couldn't explain it. And, and so you just shut down and go away from it. Is that similar? Mm-hmm. To tell you the truth, Mike, when I came back from that last one, I was broken. That's the only way I can tell it. That's the only way I can tell you. I was broken. Seriously. And so weeks later, I go back and I talk to this lady and I'm able, you know, and I'm talking to her in a little more emotionally controlled state. And she goes and says, there's somebody I want you to talk to. And that was my first introduction to the VA. She wanted me to go over and talk to somebody in the VA. And I'm like, when she hung up the phone, I said, where the hell do you get that? You need me to talk to somebody in the VA. I said, a couple of weeks ago, I came back. I told you I didn't want to talk about it. Now you're telling me I need to go talk to somebody. And I'm sitting here, you know, pretty much emotionally controlled, no anger or anything like that. And now you want me to go to, she goes, that's the reason why. I didn't follow that rationale at all. And, and the rationale being that you were controlled now was something that sh- they were Now she saw a problem with it. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I don't know her mindset, but I thought it was, but you know. I did what they asked me to do, and that was a bloody nightmare. That you know, I, I, it just that was just a nightmare. I mean, it just it was just uh, I can't even. I, I don't even want to go there to, because you don't have to go. But so so, did you actually go to the VA then? Yes, sir, I did. Yes, sir, I did. Yeah, and uh, so anyway. I'm sorry, I'm kind of jumping around to different no, things. No, I just want you to make sure that you don't have to go anywhere you don't want to go. Just you know, No, whatever. I'm fine. And yeah. thank you for, for being considerate like that. But, you know, I, I really don't mind talking about it. You know, of course, there's some things that I feel uncomfortable talking about. And, you know, if I get a little emotional over some of the things, you know, don't worry about it. It's okay. It's, it's something that I'm still, I'm still dealing with. But wouldn't you, Bill, wouldn't you say with your experience with a lot of us who served in war, it's almost foolish not to not to get emotional. How do you not get emotional about this stuff? I've often thought that it would be that would be the mental the the person with the the mental health issues is the person that just, just, you know, was fine with it. You know, let's go do that again. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. No. To yeah, be no, emotional, right. just uh, I, I don't know how you avoid that. I mean, I get emotional listening to your story. Imagine how it would be thinking of my own story. And you get emotional with your story, and I'm sure you get emotional with other. I, I don't know how you would do these things at such a young age, no matter what your background is, and not get emotional about it. So, what I mean, and one of the things too is in some respects, I'm being guarded, or I am guarding here. And the reason being is I, I, I haven't really talked to anybody about this stuff. 
I've talked to some people, but not a whole lot of people. And one of the things that they wanted me to do was go into therapy. And I actually did go into mental health therapy. And they wanted, you know, one of the suggestions was that I do group therapy. And I really didn't want to do it. And the reason why I didn't want to do it is because there's there's still that part of me, the medical side that says, do no harm. And with the guys that were out there literally in, involved in the firefights and things like that, I didn't want to share my experiences and do something that would trigger them or, or bring back bad memories for them or, you know, make them hurt. They'd been through enough. So I just, I just never talked about it. So, so at this point now, how long are you home, Bill? About? Well, even to this current day. No, I, I guess at that point, because I, what I'd like to ask you, if it's okay. Yeah, uh, please do. So we're talking about you. Uh, how is your sleep there? And, and you mentioned this w- woman that's in your life named Janet. Where, where is that relationship when you come home? Are, are you aware that this might be affecting her? Or h- how is that playing out? Where's that relationship, if it's okay to ask you? No, it's, it's quite all right. It's fine to ask. Sleeping is definitely erratic. Even to this day, it's erratic. I actually got diagnosed as what they call hypersomnia. It's one level below narcolepsy where I can fall asleep in a heartbeat, but it's staying asleep. And in terms of my wife and and our relationship, uh, the first two years, uh, we didn't sleep together when I came back because of my hypervigilance, the the fact that I would swing. And there was a couple of times that I was asleep and she went to kiss me goodnight or something like that. And I had a reflex. I swung on her and I, I heard her. And uh, I heard her pretty bad. And uh, I still feel so bad about that to this day because, you know, I care about her. But, and, you know, I could have killed her. Unintentionally, of course. We're talking about a reaction in your deep sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Sure. I remember one time my mom came over the house with my niece, and she was very young at the time, and I fell asleep on the couch. And my mom was getting ready to leave, and she goes, go give your uncle a, a hug goodbye. And this poor little thing, she jumped on my chest, and Janet <laughs> caught my hand and because I was coming down right on top of her. And this, you know, of course, this poor little kid is traumatized, and she wouldn't come near me for months. And I mean, who can blame her? You know, in her little mind, she couldn't, she didn't know what had happened, but she knew it wasn't a good thing, you know. Are, are these reactions you're having at the time, did, did you understand what they were? Did you expect to have these reactions? I, I expect to have them, no. But by that time, I was in the beginning of therapy and uh, mental therapy is what I'm talking about. And so, although I wasn't happy about it, it was something that I was beginning to understand. And I actually had a service dog. He just died. His name was JP. And uh, he was a real lifesaver. He was trained to help me remember to take my medicine. He would do blocking for me. In essence, put himself between me and somebody else so nobody could come up behind me and startle me. And he was he would lay by my bed at night because he was trained so that when I started have, having flashbacks, bad nightmares, 
he would lick me in the face and wake me up so they wouldn't become full blown. And uh, he was my lifeline. He he taught me how to he taught me how to, to to care again because of that. Like you said, you turn it off and you get numb to stuff. And he he really helped me out. When we go back to that sensation of of being numb or that reaction of being numb, when we started the conversation, we we spoke about or you spoke about what your interests were before joining the military, who your friends were, the music, raising horses, uh, all of those things, your friends. After you came home, did you keep those interests with your friends, same friends, same interests, uh, the football, no. all that sort of thing? No. Uh, no, I didn't. As a matter of fact, I love Christmas. Christmas is one of my favorite holidays. And the first year I came back, we didn't even decorate. We didn't do anything. I just, I didn't have it in me. I just didn't. And the thing that I, one of the other things too was, you know, you come back from something like that and you hear people, you know, sniveling and whining about certain things. And it's just like, you don't have a clue. <laughs> You know, you just don't have a clue. You're sitting here, and, and I used to get so angry at that. But then again, after I got to thinking about it, I'm glad they don't have a clue. Right, right. And the only way they would have a clue is if they were to experience what you experienced. Yeah. Or at least on some level. But how, how about your friends, the friends you had before the military? Did, did you stay in touch with them? You mentioned being a Minnesota Vikings football fan. Were these things of any joy to you when you first came home? I would say not as much. And I mean, I'm trying to find the words to, I'm trying to find the words really. I mean, you know, things just aren't the same. Even to this day, there's times where, you know, like large crowds and stuff like that. I mean, mm -hmm. you'll under, you understand this having a TVI. There's sometimes where too much movement, too much noise and all that stuff is too much stimulus for your brain to even process. and. I, I would love to be able to go to a concert and 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 listen to music. I mean, I, I couldn't do it. It's not going to happen. No, no. I, get, I get that. As, as the, one, the, the one that gets me is people walking down the street with ear, earphones on listening to the radio. There's no way in God's earth that I'm walking down the street with headphones on. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, with the hypervigilance and everything else, it's not going to happen. But yeah. but, but now you're you're having these reactions. Do you find yourself at any time, as a lot of us have, trying to communicate with people, not letting them inside of you to know who you really are, but coming up with a facade that this is, okay, they're expecting me to be this soldier. They're expecting me to, to be Bill Austin. Uh, so I've got to speak with them, but I, I'll speak with them on a superficial level and life conversation becomes superficial, but they're not going to really get to know who I really am. Okay, so being guarded on, on what, what you what you share and what you don't. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, of course, then again, you figure some of the madness that we've been exposed to. I mean, even, you know, Mike, you were in Vietnam. So, you know, you, you know, you understand this. If you were to come back and to talk to somebody about in the civilian world about some of the things you did, and you know, some of the stuff that you were witness to, they were they would think you're nuts. They would think you lost it. And I mean, you know, there was times where despite all the chaos that was going on, there was some things that you literally would laugh at. And you, if you explained that to somebody today about some of the things that you laughed at, they might think you were sick. Yeah. You know, I mean, like the other part is, I remember this one young troop 
he was a, a Marine. And this was, you know, funny. In a, I mean, I could laugh at it now, but he was kind of coming out of it. And he's like, Sarge. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah. What's up? He goes, did I kill that MFR? I said, well, we didn't get any bad guys. So kind of, you, you, you probably did. And he goes, good, that SOB. <laughs> you know, after, you know, the Marine mentality, you know what I mean? But, but, but I know. think there is something to that. Uh, one of the things that I recall in myself, and I, it took me years to get over it, was absolutely filthy language. Even even when I was speaking uh, about pleasant things, the language was filthy. Yeah. Uh, but there was also that humor. But it, it took me years to recognize that the humor wasn't really sick humor. The humor was protective humor against what you would call, and it was the barbaric insanity of it. You, you just yeah. you learned you learned to laugh. Uh, I, I call it military humor, but I don't I don't believe it's really in my experience. Thinking back on it, the the laughing is is evil. I I think it's the laughing is the cover up. Uh, yeah, it's, it's protecting that stuff that hasn't been resolved yet. You know, and I think that's a good point. But I, and I mean, you know, the one question that I don't talk about. And the one question that really, uh, pardon me for being so blunt, really pisses me off is when somebody, oh, so you were in the military, yeah? Did you kill anybody? Yeah. I said, what's it to you? What do you care? Yeah. yeah. I said, all you got to know is I'm here now, yeah. and it's none of your business what I did yeah. or didn't do. You know, uh, God, that ticks me off. Yeah, it does. And it used to, that was one of the first questions. I was infantry, so that was one of the first questions that was asked uh, when I came home. But it took me years to understand and turn it around and realize or, or see it from the standpoint that before we go into the military, when we enter the military, that's probably the biggest question we have on ourselves. Can you do that? Would you yeah. be able to do that? So, you know, nobody ever asked me, did you like sea rations? Nobody ever asked me uh, how I was flying in a helicopter. Because I think when we go into the military, the biggest thing that we are up against, and probably the, one of the most outstanding things, is that ability to take to take life. Can you really do it? This is not cowboys and Indians anymore. This is not, yeah. uh, this, is, this is the real the real McCoy. When, yeah. when, when you experience it, it, it's completely different than that, romantic, I hate to put it that way, expectation of joining the military that you can do this. It does, it, it, the, the, the value is completely different. So, But you're I've, spot on with that, Mike. You're yeah. absolutely spot on with, with that because, you know, with all these different shows and, you know, like when you and I were growing up, you know, there was a lot of, you know, war movies and things like sure. that. And of course, young men romanticize being able to go up against the enemy, the bad guys, and, you know, to to be Take Rambo, yes. Well, not so much Rambo, but to 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 take care of the bad guy, to to rid the world of evil, yeah. and 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 be a man. And then when you're physically, when it's physically you put in that in that situation, it, it's it's a whole different ball game. It's like you said, it's not cowboys and Indians on TV anymore. This right. this is real world. Right. And 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 there's you know like again, there's a lot of guilt that goes with that too. A lot of guilt, a lot of rage. Uh, there, there's many different reactions and emotions that were attached to, just to the difference between the expectation of entering the military and, and the actuality of it. And then it's yeah. very hard, at least it was for me, to tie that to patriotism and honor. 
the taking of another life. What we do to each other is so absurd and barbaric in combat. And to try to assign patriotism and honor uh, can be a little bit complex. And, and, you know, I wanted to ask you again now, after you return from the military, Bill, where, where did religion and belief in God stand with you? It shattered my belief. It literally shattered my belief. It seriously did. For the very reasons that you just mentioned, the, the, the horrors, the barbaric things that we as humans have come up, come up with to hurt other people. And, you know, it, 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 I don't know. And I used to have, you know, I mean, like, I believe in God. I still believe in God. It's, a, you know, and, but it really did, man. It shattered, it really shattered my, my belief system. It seriously did. And I spent a lot of years, I mean, you know, I've never said this to anybody, but I'll, you know, I'll share it with you. It's only been in the last few couple months that I've been able to go to bed at night and pray, say my prayers. Wow. I mean, seriously, that's, that's how bad it affected, how, how much it shattered my belief. And it's hard to restore. It's very hard to restore. I, I think for me, the, the, the way that I got around it because of experience that war and the Catholic priest coming out to say mass was that I was, I, I would, I, when I came home, literally, I actually stood outside the house and screaming out loud at God, how could you do this? How could you do this? But then I had to come to the realization, it wasn't God who did that. It was us, the human yeah. beings that did this. So I was assigning all this blame to God, however that God may be. And certainly my, my, my relationship with God is, is quite a bit different now. But I was assigning everything that we as humans did to God. And, and I had the same reaction, that just shattering of, of my belief in religion. You know something, I mean, like, you know, in, in the medical world, you don't get to choose not taking care of the bad guys, only taking care of the good guys. We have to take care of everybody. So, you know, talking about a conflict, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so the rules are, if the bad guy is hurt more than our guys, we got to take care of the bad guy first. And that's, that's like, that's like BS to me, because it's like, you know what, we take care of our own first. But we're not allowed to do that. And, I didn't know that, Bill. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, and it, and it got to the point, too. I mean, you know, in, in, when you're when you, talking about the belief system in God, here's this real world, two, two stories. In Afghanistan, in some of these villages, the fathers would send the kids out into the field to, to pick up landmines. And then they would sell them. Well, this one little kid went out there and... He picked up a landmine and it went off. And of course, the damage that it did to him was catastrophic. So they brought him to us and we had an interpreter. And, the, and through the interpreter, because when the blast went off, it took his right arm, his legs, and part of his left arm. And so through the interpreter, the parents said, if the child passed away, they wanted him because it was their culture that they bury those that have passed within 24 hours. If he lived, they didn't want him at all because he would be no use to him. He had no arms, no legs. Talking about cruelty. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I mean, you know, that was a hard thing to swallow. Hearing somebody, I mean, you know, parents here, their kids are, you know, above everything else. 
you know, I mean, for the most part, right? Yeah, yeah well, absolutely. I, I think that was a lesson that a lot of us learned is how children are used at war. You know, we always think of children as being sacred and shielding them from war. But the very much the same in Vietnam, children were used to initiate ambushes. And, 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 and again, it's one of those things that go into your belief system and just destroy it. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, why isn't this father? I mean, I, I'm asking a question you don't have to answer. Why isn't this father who's sending his son out to collect uh, booby traps? Why isn't he going out himself? Well, yeah, uh, that uh, yes, yeah. that that would be the the answer that most people would have that he would shield his son and go out and, and get this landmine himself. But again, these are all the things, or, or certainly the not one of the many parts of the experience of war that shatter our belief system in ourselves, our understanding of who we are and, and our relationship to this whole thing called uh, called the world and reality. Uh, yeah. and, and you're describing some of them so so beautifully. But let, let, let's go, now we're still at home. Are you, are you at all aware, this is a tough question to ask and I have to be careful how no, I do it. No, please do it, just do uh, it. I just want to be diplomatic about it and kind about it. When I came home, everything was about me. I had the issues, I was at war, I had the problems, I needed help, I couldn't sleep, I was drinking, it was about me, it was about me. I never had much of a concern for anybody in my family. In fact, it wasn't until, oh, probably four decades later that my sister Mary said to me, Mike, your family also needs to heal. I was shocked by that. So in this time, when you're first getting home, are you aware that there might be an effect on your wife? Are you aware? Is, have, we gone, have you gone from the family being the center of the event when you're leaving to go to war, you know, with the patriotism, the honor, the send off, the parties, the uniform, the dress uniform, to coming home? Are you feeling more like you are isolated from the family? As far as healthcare is concerned, are you aware that this might be affecting your wife, Janet? I'll tell you where I learned my lesson on that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, everybody would call and they would never talk to me, but they would talk to Janet. <laughs> How's he doing? How's he doing? How's he doing? And one day she got mad after hanging up the phone. She goes, what about me? And, and that was... You know, that was a real eye opener for me. And, you know, like you said, what she what she's what she's gone through. And so, you know, there, you know, of course, with, with PTSD, uh, the anger, rage, you know, and of course, with the TBI, you know, that's a whole a whole nother gamut of different things going on that I was uh, dealing with. So it really opened my eyes to, yeah, there's there's more more to this than just me, it's us. And so even to this day, when I've talked to some people, you know, wives, I guess they feel this need that, you know, just like men need to be macho, that women also need to be strong for their man. And so there's been a couple women, more than a couple women that I talk to and I say, how are you doing? Oh, we're good. And, and I, okay, now enough of the bullshit. How are you really doing? You know, because I know this is hard on you. I said, and, and, you know, we know plenty, we've interacted with a lot of military couples because of one of the other things that we have gotten involved with. And I tell the women, the wives, you know what, thank you for what you do. And I know it's hard. What you're going through is hard. And it takes a lot of guts. And, and you're an incredible person for sticking, that, sticking this out and, and helping your husband. They deserve that praise. They deserve a lot more. They seriously do. 
because, you know, I mean, you know, and, and women, you know, this is one thing you'll hear sometimes during when you're on base and people are getting ready to deploy. Women, the wives, don't get enough credit for everything that they do because we're off doing what we got to do overseas. They're back here taking care of the house. They're taking care of the family. They're taking care of the finances. You know, they're trying to be strong. For the, they're still doing all the meals. They're still doing all the housework. They're still trying to keep up with all the extra stuff that they got to do. They're still trying to be a wife. And, and you know, when, when the husband calls, maybe he gets that morale call or, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And, you know, and they're still worrying about, you know, what is he going to come back? How is he going to come back? Is he going and, to come back? Exactly. And, and they deserve so much praise and credit for what they do. And I mean, when we know a lot of couples where it just got to be too much for the wife and, and she took off. And in a lot of respects, I can't blame her. It's got to be horrendous. I, I don't know how they feel. I get it, but I don't know how they feel. I, I, I've come to the, the thinking that we have always put the focus on the soldier. And when the soldier comes home, it's the soldier's mental health. It's the soldier's physical health. It's what do we do for the soldier? What are the resources for the soldier? But nobody has ever told the family, the wife, the partner, uh, the husband, the parents, the children, what are the resources available to them? And to think of the family as the center of the healthcare unit, as opposed to just the veteran. And I think we're yeah. getting better at that. And uh, for, for the audience sake, we are going to be speaking with your wife about this, who has done an incredible amount of work over the years of bringing yeah. this attention and this education to us. But at this particular time in, in your coming home, you, you have really been the focus of the reactions. Uh, yeah, this is a public service message about my wife. Um, <laughs> she did, she's done an incredible. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I'm so lucky in a lot of ways. I, yeah. I love her with my heart. And yeah. Uh, but, she's but, but she's let, been my biggest advocate. But she had to do this because the resources weren't there. And when you say a person won't quit, she had to go off on her own. Again, I don't want to take her thunder away from her presentation, but she had to go off and find these answers because they weren't available to her. There, there were no resources. But, but now, you know, you, you've come home, you're, you're, you're going through your experiences, you've had the nightmares, you've had the anger, the rage, all of these different things, the guilt. Uh, and, and now you've come to, to a point where you've already mentioned, JP, your dog. But before we get there, in all of these times, you've been home, what, now nine years? Well, it was 2009. Okay, so, so 2009 to 2019 would be 10 years. It's yes. been 11 years already. Okay, so Holy now, crap. yeah, I know. <laughs> so in retrospect, looking back uh, on what you experienced, what would you do different? I mean, you didn't know about this coming home and just not wanting to talk about it. You had expectations coming home, but you had the actual experience. If you could go back and maybe sharing this little bit of wisdom with our audience and those who might be entering into this readjustment from the military, whether it be the veteran or, or the family themselves, what, would, what words of wisdom do you have to share with them that you might have done differently? Concern for your wife, concern for your family, where you might have gone to actually get educational help. What was the stigma? How did the stigma prevent you from going to get help, especially with a father who's a World War II veteran? Oh, the oh, I think the biggest stigma, the thing that is really, it really, it really makes me angry about the military 
is that they tell you if you're having problems, come to us. It doesn't mean you're going to get kicked out of the military. It takes a strong person to get help. And then when you do go to them for help, after a while, if things don't go right, you know, if you're not getting any better, then they kick you out. And that's a bold-faced lie. That's a bold-faced lie by the military and, and the powers to be, and it's disgusting because you're, you're doing a double-edged sword. You're telling people one, you're telling the troops one thing, and then you're doing it something else, and you're getting rid of them. So what this does, and this is what really ticks me off, is the fact that you're having a lot of soldiers out there that are suffering, that aren't going to get help, that are, you know, like I told you, Mike, when, when you and I talked one time off the cuff, you know, I, I, I get crawling into a bottle. I could crawl into the bottle in a heartbeat. I seriously could. And, you know, I, I, I tried to be very vigilant and make sure I didn't go down that path. But I, I drank every night just to help me sleep. But and, here's the thing about crawling into the bottle. It only prolongs the time before you have to crawl out of the bottle. Hopefully you get to the point where you crawl out of the bottle and the bottle doesn't kill you. Or but the that's not the issue you. when you're drinking. No, but that's eventually, the, go ahead. That's, that's, that's not what you're thinking about. What you're thinking about is you found a way to, to help you get down down the road a little bit further and, and this is the way this is the way that it works yeah you know so but what in essence to you know curl back on on your question there's a there you know the, 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 there's this program out there called the vet center it is it is to a degree attached to the va but they don't report directly to the va and if you're having problems out there with deployments and things like that from coming back and having issues Go to the VA, uh, go, go to the vet center and, and talk to them. Please do this. It's, it's paramount that you do this. If you're having, and, and, I, and this is coming from my heart, because this literally breaks my heart. When I hear about these, our guys, our brothers and sisters that come back, and they talk about the 22 that, a day that commit suicide, don't do it. I know it hurts. I know you're hurting there's a lot of us out there, including myself, that care about you. We love you. We need you. And there's a lot of your family members that love you and need you. And ending your life, there's always tomorrow. No matter how bad things get, they're not going to stay the same. They're going to change. So don't give up. And the other thing that I can tell you is this about war. You know, we went over these different places. And the only thing that we had on our back was in our rucksacks. And it was uncomfortable, but we made it. We made it in austere conditions. So if we can make it over there, and then we come back here to the, to the world, and there's all kinds of resources out there, then we can make it here. So just don't give up. Please don't quit. It's not worth it. You're not worth it. Your life is worth so much more than just, than just quitting. And there are many of us out there who have experienced similar, similar experiences who are available to help share the education. Don't think of it as mental illness, but education, getting the answers for the reactions that you're having. And Master Sergeant Bill Austin, it has been an absolute honor. We could keep going. But thank you so much. Every minute, every word that you have shared is 
of great value to any of our veterans and soldiers who have served in the military or are serving in the military. And we, we, I just can't say enough that it was so important to get, have you share your message with us. And we certainly look forward to having your wife, Janet, come up and, uh, and share the, the family side of this, uh, the military family side of this. So, Brother Bill, thank you. It's been an honor. Mine also. Thank you. And, you know, I appreciate you even reaching out and allowing me to, to speak. Oh, Thank you so much. Happy to do it. We uh, hope you'll all join us for our next edition. And we would, of course, like to thank our engineer for today, Kate, for helping Absolutely. us through this. Um, thank you, Miss Kate. And we will see you hopefully on our next edition of Stigma Free Bet Zone. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is always welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. Our program is produced by Blueberry Pro Productions. On behalf of Michael Orban, this is Bob Bach. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.